This morning, we're going to be considering a lesson that's in a series we began a couple of weeks ago, a series of four lessons talking about dangers in the desert. As you and I think about the children of Israel and the journey that they began to embark upon after they left the bondage in Egypt, they found themselves facing a very wild wilderness beset with a number of potential problems. We might think of some of the things that they had faced, and we might would think of things like wild animals, perhaps snakes or things in the desert. You might think of the lack of water and the lack of food, but for all of the dangers that were outward, God provided for their needs. The greatest dangers that the children of Israel faced as they left Egypt and made their journey toward the promised land was that of themselves. They were their own worst enemy. Two weeks ago, we talked about the danger of doubt, how that they doubted God. Last week, we talked about the danger of discontent, how that they were not content with the blessings which God had provided. This morning, we want to talk about the danger of defiance. In order to begin our lesson, I'd like to begin to introduce it by asking a question of each of us. Would you ever describe yourself as stubborn? I would imagine most of us at one point in time would say yes. In fact, some of you may have said I was a little stubborn this morning. Uh, but let me point out to you that sadly the children of Israel were stubborn and defiant when it came to God leading them out of Egypt into the promised land. There's a passage of scripture found in Psalms 81 which gives a picture of the children of Israel looking backwards. And I want you to listen carefully as the psalmist describes it. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Then I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him but their fate would endure forever. I don't know if you realize exactly how profound that passage really is. God is begging them to open their mouths wide. Why? So he can fill it with food, be able to provide for their every need. But I want you to notice, he said, they would not heed my voice and would have none of me. They wouldn't accept God into their lives. And so God gave them over to their own stubborn heart. That reminds one of Romans chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28, where Paul talks about the Gentiles that God gave them up. God gave them over. 
Why? Because God allows people to do what they want to do. We're not robots. We're not predestined. God allows us to choose, and He allowed Israel to choose. And God allowed them to walk in their own stubborn ways. Of course, there are consequences. There's consequences to choosing to serve God. In this case, God said, I would have subdued their enemies before them. But because they refused to have God, their fate would endure forever. I want you to notice one more thing before I leave this passage. And that is in verse 15. He says, the haters of God would pretend submission to him. The children of Israel frequently said, God, we are your people. Lead us, direct us, guide us. And yet, what did they do? They pretended submission before him. You see, defiance sometimes can take some... uh, very deceptive pathways. We can allow people to think, here I am, I'm in church on Sunday morning. And yet, we can still be defiant of God, and to be defiant of God is to be a hater of Him. Could it be that we have picked up some of their bad habits? I think so. Well, this lesson this morning will be a study of Numbers chapters 13 and 14. And I encourage you to open your Bibles and keep them open there because the lessons that we will learn this morning come from these two chapters. We're going to look how that they spied out the land, how that they were scared of their enemies, how that they selected their pathway, and then finally God sentenced them for their sins. Let's begin, first of all, the passage Brother Cain read to us just a few moments ago from Numbers chapter 13, verses 17 through 20, revealed the beginning picture. Look with me at it again. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up into the mountains and see what the land is like whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests or not. And then he says to be of good courage, and he tells them to bring back some of the fruit of the land. The spying of the land was to reveal the truth to them. It wasn't to God. God knew what was in the land. In fact, God had already allowed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to dwell in that land. God knows it all, but he knew what was there. He had told them what was there. Why go spy it out then? Because the people need to see. They need to see what kind of people are there and what kind of land it is. That's exactly what verses 17 through 20 indicate. When they got there, the spies found that the land was exactly like God had represented it to be. Notice with me verses 26 and 27. 
Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. And they had a massive bough of fruit from that land, exactly like God had told them. But in going and spying out the land, there was a test. It was God who had ordered them to spy it out. Would they trust him? God had told them what was there. Would they trust God to lead them into that land? Which is going to bring us to our second point. And that is they came back scared of the enemy. Do you think about the fear that possessed them? I want you to listen to a couple of verses we read. First of all, verses 27 and 28. And then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now drop with me into verses 30 through 33. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. And the children of Israel Uh, They gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and we were in their sight. This is the season of basketball. And for that reason, a number of the professional and college basketball players have been interviewed on television. I thought it was interesting the other day. I saw one standing next to one of the commentators, and he says, I'm six foot one. And he barely came to the shoulder of the basketball player standing next to him. He kept looking up to him like he was a giant. I want you to imagine most of the Semitic people range in height from about five foot six to five foot ten. Imagine walking next to a person like Goliath, who would likely have been one of the descendants of Anak, one of the Philistines, nine feet tall. Imagine standing and looking at people like that. We're not able, these people scared them. They were afraid of them. There's something additional. If you'll notice what he says in verse 32, he says, The land through which we went as spies is a land which devours its inhabitants. We don't want to go there. It's a place that the people who live there are devoured by the land. What do they mean by that? Perhaps the wild animals that were there? 
The text doesn't tell us, but I know they're scared. What happens is fear displaces faith. That is, when we are trusting God and we let our fear overwhelm us, as it did them, it can drive out faith and trust in God. Let me illustrate this to you through the Bible. Do you remember Matthew 14? Jesus comes walking on the water and the disciples see the Lord approaching. Once they realize that it is the Lord, Peter says, Lord, I want to come to you. I want to walk on the water. Well, here's the response, verse 29. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Now, I want you to stop at this point. Peter had enough faith to step out of a boat and walk on water. Every time I've stepped out of the boat into the water, I've gone right in. And I would say Peter, being a fisherman, knew that very well. But he steps out on that water and he's walking just like he's walking on dry land. But do you see what happened? The wind is boisterous. The waves are beginning to roll. And as that begins to happen, Peter's faith is displaced with fear and he begins to sink. And notice how the Lord responds to him in verse 31. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Fear can drive out faith in our lives. Sometimes it extends to our basic needs in life. For instance, have you ever had a reverse in life, a, a difficulty, a challenge that come up, and you said, I don't know where we're going to get the food to eat. I don't know where we're going to get money to pay the rent. I don't know where we're going to be able to have money to live. Jesus dealt with that in Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. This small portion, verses 28 through 30. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is and is tomorrow thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? As long as everything's going fine, it's easy to trust in God. You let difficulties come and fear can drive out faith. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was sending his disciples out. And as they go out into the world, they're going to confront some difficulties, some trials. And notice what he says beginning with verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. You know it's going to be bad. But you drop down and look at what he says in verses 26 through 28. Therefore do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. And you notice verse 28, and do not fear those 
who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that man cannot kill your soul. Don't be afraid of him. The Lord knows that fear can be difficult in this life. And fear is what was controlling the children of Israel. They were scared of the enemy. King Saul. You might have think, here's a mighty warrior leading the children of Israel against the Amalekites. But he doesn't do what God tells him to do. When Samuel finally rebukes him and drives the point home, here's the way Saul responds. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned and transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, folks, let me, let me drive a point home here. If you don't think this is true, you allow yourself to be put in the presence of people who do not love God and who do not love His Word, people who want to do the wrong thing, and people who push you, and you see how easy it is to keep your faith in the face of fear of how people will think about you and talk about you. What that resulted in was they're selecting a path. Look with me at chapter 14, verses 4 through 10. So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land to give it to us, which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. For they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Therefore do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. You see, they had a choice. Do we select us a leader that's going to lead us back to Egypt or do we go with Joshua and Caleb who are making really good sense right now? Men of faith, men of confidence. Who are we going to choose a path or select a path to follow? Well, their selection was clear. But the truth is you have to be willing to accept the consequences of your selection. It's that way in everything in life. You choose to buy this model or that model of a car. You choose to buy this or that. And the choices you make have consequences, good and bad. Joshua made it very plain himself 
later on in life when he's about ready to die. He says to the children of Israel, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the river or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, you know what their choice was. You know where they ended up. And so there's got to be a sentence pronounced upon their sin. Look with me at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them and make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Moses, these people deserve to be wiped off the face of the planet. They deserve to die because they have rejected me. The truth is God intended to give these people exactly what they deserved. What do you think they deserved? God had provided, protected them, but he had also, according to this text, had shown them signs. Can you imagine the parting of the waters at the Red Sea? Never mind the previous ten plagues that had been brought on the Egyptians. God had given them much in the way of proof for who he was. But it's interesting here, Moses pleads for mercy. Beginning with verse 15. Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering, and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no, will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Moses is saying, please God, one more time. Forgive this people. God had just told Moses, I'll make of you a great nation. But Moses is saying, Lord, please don't do that. Please show mercy to these people. What do you do? When on the one hand you have got the justice of God, and on the other hand you have the mercy of God. I can see the wisdom of the God we serve revealed in this text. So God listens to the plea of Moses and yet God maintains his integrity. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. 
But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and my signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to this test ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. And your sons will be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. You see, the mercy of God, he didn't kill the people immediately. He let them live out natural lives. They would die by attrition in the wilderness. But God neither allowed them to see the promised land because they didn't trust Him. You see both the justice and the mercy of God. You have to understand that God's mercy only goes so far. And you have to react in a right way while you can because there will be a day that it's too late to receive the mercy of God. If you go to chapter 14, verses 39 through 42, Then Moses told all these words to the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Now why do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. All right, Lord, it's time now. We'll do it. No, you've defied God and you won't go. Folks, there comes a time in which it's just too late. Can you see people on the day of judgment who'll say, Lord, I believe in you now. I'll do everything you say, but don't send me to hell. Too late. Too late. Just by way of summary, quite often our vision of life is different from God's. The way we see the future, the way we see our challenges, our potentials, and our problems are sometimes much different than God sees them. That's the reason why in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways and your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Folks, we better listen to God. He's the one who sees it all. Number two, when God sins, He always promises to be with man, and that's really a matter of trust. If God sends us to do something, we need to do it because we trust Him. Matthew 28, verse 20, He says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. One must see challenges as an opportunity to test our faith. A lot of this was a test. And sometimes we fail tests miserably. If we don't prepare for them properly. 
1 Peter 1, verses 6 and following. And he's talking about the various trials they will face. I just want to key on verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found unto the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The genuineness of your faith, do you really trust? Life is a series of choices, and one's choices affects where he goes. God's mercy tries, really tries to save man, but God will not overrule our will. God won't make you love him. God will not make you serve him. God will not make you obey him. You have to choose to do that. In Romans 10, 21, but he said, uh, to Israel, he says, All the day long I stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary, or I might say stubborn people, defiant people. And just like God asked them, How long? Jesus said, how long before you're going to change? Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Job asked a very sobering question in Job 9 and verse 4. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? Whoever has been able to defy God and survive and win. God wants to save you. Don't reject him. Don't defy God. If you're not a Christian... God wants to save you. He loves you. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized. Everything's ready for you to do that this morning. If you are one of God's children and you have been fighting against Him, it's now time to quit that, repent, and come back to the Lord's side. Would you come as we stand and sing?